Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have very different conversations about what it takes to design a legendary business and a legendary life. On this episode, it's you and me. And there's uh, some things around venture capital, startups, IPOs, and immigrant entrepreneurs that have been on my mind that I thought it'd be fun to have a conversation with you about. We're sponsored by Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. And while you're there, you can also set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry at netsuite.com slash different. Now, hey-ho, let's go. Okay, so um, as you probably know, the super smart folks at the Brookings Institute do some very good research into a number of things, um, but uh, startups and venture capital. And recently they said, quote, in recent decades, VC has generated more economic and employment growth in the U.S. than any other investment sector, any other investment sector. They go on to say, annually, Venture investments make up only 0.2% of GDP in the United States, but deliver an extraordinary 21% of U.S. GDP in the form of venture-backed business revenues. So let me just underscore that. 0.2% of GDP, but delivers 21% of the GDP um, in terms of venture-backed businesses and their revenue. That's extraordinary. And so a lot of people like to shit on venture capital. A lot of people, there's negativity around uh, Silicon Valley and uh, so forth and so on today. But let's just give our heads a shake. The data is very powerful. Um, Venture capitalists, and most importantly, the startups that they back do extraordinary things at the macro level uh, in the U.S. And I think that's important to underscore. Uh, Interestingly enough, there's a bifurcation, no surprise, of where the VC is. Uh, so according to Brookings, um, uh, California gets 51% of the venture capital, making California the category queen of VC. Uh, they're working with 2017 data here. My guess is as a percentage, it probably hasn't changed very much over time. Back then, they tracked $45.7 billion in California, 51%. 14% in New York, 12.5 billion, 10% in Boston, 9 billion, and only 3.8 uh, billion in the Great Lakes region. And so it is interesting to point out um, if you're in part of the country that is not California, um, you, there's a severe lack of venture capital and a severe lack of venture backed startups. And look, I generally don't like to get political and I'm, I, I'm not going to take sides um, certainly publicly in any political discussion. I'm going to do my best to stay out of the mix and I, I don't want to be another place that bitches about stuff in politics. However, that said, we're in an election season in the United States. Maybe it's time for all of us who care about entrepreneurship and the difference that it makes in our world to make sure that our presidential candidates uh, our current president, our governors in, in the states, our congresspeople, uh, members of Senate, both federally and 
um, state at the state level should get focused on this topic. Shouldn't the governors of states like Alabama and Texas and Michigan and uh, North Carolina and et cetera, et cetera, Wyoming, shouldn't they care about how they are going to attract more venture capital and support more uh, venture-backed startups? Brookings goes on to say, quote, most venture investments, like any other form of early-stage financing, fail. However, when venture-backed deals do pan out, they create an explosive growth dynamic, seeding the creation of additional local startups. These follow-on efforts can foster a robust innovation ecosystem that helps sustain growth. So what's my point? Yeah, it's wonderful that we have a robust um, venture capital uh, ecosystem in Silicon Valley that produces such an extraordinary outcome, but we need it in other parts of the country too. And I think those of us who care about startups, who care about innovation, who care about entrepreneurship, need to start applying some pressure uh, to our elected officials. Now, in addition, Yahoo Finance recently came out and said that Silicon Valley could uh, have 5,000 new millionaires after this year's tech IPOs. 5,000. And that would surpass the 1,000 who emerged in 2004 from Google's IPO and about the same number, 1,000 plus um, millionaires after Facebook went public. So we're about to have a banner year for newly minted uh, millionaires in Silicon Valley. And look, I'm not ignorant. I know there's some negative implications around that stuff, particularly for housing costs and, and so forth. And that, that shit needs to get addressed. However, this is very important. This is the ecosystem that Brookings is talking about because tech IPOs not only create wealth, but they create a hothouse flower environment for creating more startups. And here's what I mean. When a company goes public, um, a year or two later, maybe the head of engineering leaves that company. She's got some money now. And now she's able to, A, be an angel investor in other startups, or B, uh, be her own entrepreneur, create her own company, and at least self-fund it in the early stages. And so uh, part of the power of IPOs in the overall startup entrepreneurial ecosystem is it tends to um, spin out more entrepreneurs and more entrepreneurial behavior. And it's an important part of the economic uh, startup flywheel. Now, um, there's some interesting data about uh, the number of IPOs and, and they, it seems to be trending back into a good area. Uh, I have a hard time saying this company's name is a dyslexic. This one's a killer for me. Stat, statista.com. <laughs> S-T-A-T-I-S-T-A. Jeez Louise. Anyway, they track IPOs in the U.S. Again, all this data is on lockhead.com if you want to go check it out. Show notes for this episode. Um, they track a high uh, number of IPOs in 1999 in the U.S. at 486, a low of 31 in 2008. Then in 2014, by way of reference, IPOs were at 275. Uh, last year, um, 2018, they were at 190. And according to scoop.com, much easier to say, <laughs> there have been about 70 IPOs so far at this point in 2019. And so good news, uh, IPOs on the rise and uh, trending in the right direction. Now, according to the Wall Street Journal, they have some interesting insights uh, to correlate here. As of April uh, 2019, 
There are still 88 private U.S. startups valued at over a billion or more, and that's up from just 43 five years ago. And so what's that telling us? These $88 billion privately held companies are probably good candidates to go public in the next you know, few years. And um, in a recent article, they cite research from Jay Ritter, an IPO expert at the University of Florida, And the Wall Street Journal quotes his work saying, the median age for tech companies going public back in the dot-com era, 99, 2000, was four or five years. And now that's 12 years in 2018. Uh, Back in the go-go days of the dot-com era, the median sales for these companies going public was 12 million. Today, it's 173.6 million. That was last year. So what's this telling us? I think it's a good indicator. It's telling us that the new IPO companies are stronger and more mature. Um, And, uh, you know, Brian Roberts, the legendary VC at Venrock, says it takes, I can't remember his exact number, but I think eight to 10 years for a product to really mature. Um, And I think a company gets, you know, certainly looks different at 10 than it looked at four. Um, And so I think this is telling us the new companies going public are more mature and Hopefully, that's an indicator that they will create more enduring value over time. So um, I know I'll be watching it. I hope you are too. All right, now let's let's tilt the conversation to immigrant entrepreneurs. Um, in a recent article on Forbes, they say, "quote The top tech IPOs in 2019 have been started by immigrants." As of July 1st, 2019, the five biggest tech IPOs this year have been Slack, CloudStrike, Uber. Pinterest, and Zoom. Uh, Forbes says, quote, while the founders of Pinterest are native born, the other four companies had at least one immigrant founder. They go on to say, this is remarkable since U.S. immigration law does not make it easy for an immigrant to gain permanent residence, i.e. a green card, after starting a company. Let me read that again. Our U.S. immigration laws do not make it easy for an immigrant to gain permanent status, a green card, after starting a company. How's that even possible? Um, They go on to say immigrant founders usually first gain permanent residency after entering as either a refugee, being sponsored by a major employer, or a family member. So what's this telling us? I, I don't think we're having enough of the right conversation around immigration in this country. Look, do I think it's important to talk about our southern border and what we want to do there? Yes, and I think uh, thoughtful debate about that is helpful. Do I think thoughtful debate about um, how the United States can be benevolent and accept refugees um, is an important conversation? I absolutely think it is. How many we should accept? I don't know. I'm not an expert. I would love to see a bipartisan uh, group of folks analyze uh, what our needs are, what our abilities are, and really look at what the United States can do and should do in the area of welcoming refugees. I'm not an expert in any of that stuff. Far from it. However, here's what I know we're not talking about. In the media, and we're certainly not talking about it in this election cycle, is how does the United States of America attract immigrant entrepreneurs? It took Eric Yuan, the founder of Zoom, who has created over $20 billion worth of market cap, is now a billionaire himself. I don't know how many millionaires Zoom has created, but many. And he's created a legendary technology and product in Zoom, as well as 
redesigned a whole category and is making communication um, you know, incredibly powerful now in a way that it wasn't before. He's an incredible entrepreneur. It took him nine tries to get into this country um, as an immigrant from, um, from China. We have an episode coming out soon with Diego Corzo, who is what's called a dreamer. His parents came here um, uh, and they are undocumented, which means he's undocumented. And he's a young, I think he's 28, something like that, incredibly inspiring entrepreneur, fast on a track to personal financial freedom, and he's incredibly inspiring. And yet he's not here with any documentation. We're having the wrong conversation or not enough of the right conversation, let me put it that way, on immigration. We should be asking, how do we attract and support immigrant entrepreneurs? Now, this question is even more important when you consider where we are with entrepreneurship overall, which is another giant issue, I think. doesn't get talked about in the mainstream media, and I can't for the life of me figure out why this is not a topic in this election cycle. According to Axos, as of May 2018, quote, U.S. startups are in a surprising 13-year slump, end quote. When I tell people that the Wall Street Journal says that there's a, quote, crisis in American entrepreneurship, most people think I'm kidding. There's so much talk about entrepreneurship today. It can feel like everybody's an entrepreneur. Everybody's being successful. But the truth is we are at, if not record lows, damn near record lows in startups. There's something very wrong in um, the United States of America today as it relates to uh, supporting and enabling uh, entrepreneurs to start businesses. Now, why does this matter? Axos goes on to say, quote, in the booming 1980s and 1990s, much of U.S. job and productivity growth was the handiwork of a few young startups and their hit innovations. But the decline, which began in 2005, has stripped the economy of one of its most vibrant engines of wage and productivity growth, says John Haltwanger, an economist at the University of Maryland, end quote. And so, look, I'm trying to encourage you, I'm trying to encourage everybody to think about this more, to talk about this more. On a macro level, we need entrepreneurs and startups and growth-oriented businesses because that's where the jobs come from. That's where the innovation comes from. That's where the productivity comes from. It doesn't come from GE. It doesn't come from... IBM. It doesn't come from Boeing. On a micro level, this is a deeply personal problem to me. Because as if you've, you know, if you're a longtime listener, you've heard me say this, and you're going to hear me say it again. I think it's a really important thing to underscore. For some people, entrepreneurship is a way up in the world. You know, if you're a Stanford grad, and you came from a privileged background, and you want to start a company and do some cool shit, God bless you. That's cool. God bless entrepreneurship. God bless America. For many of us, entrepreneurship is a way out, a way out of a life of struggle. Um, for many of us, being an entrepreneur was the only thing we could do other than manual labor or some menial job because nobody would bet on us. Entrepreneurship is, is a way for us to bet on ourselves. And so I'm encouraging you to get a little bit uh, militant with me on this and to ask presidential candidates uh, governors, uh, candidates for governor and candidates for Congress and Senate um, at the state and federal level, what are you doing for entrepreneurship? Who's the candidate 
for um, startups and for both biggie entrepreneurs and most importantly, the smallie entrepreneurs who drive our economy. And on the immigrant side, look, if Americans aren't going to start companies, then don't we need to attract immigrants who will? And uh, unless you're uh, 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 what I would call a real Native American, then we're all immigrants. And we all understand if, if we track our family lineage, what that immigrant work ethic uh, means. And so I think we need to attract more immigrants and we need policies at the federal and state level that make it easier to be an entrepreneur. All right, that's your food for thought for today. Thank you so much. We would like to thank the amazing folks at OneLifeFullyLive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check us out, the number one, LifeFullyLive.org. Play Bigger, the instant classic from HarperCollins, how pirates, dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets. It's my first book, and I know if you read it, it's going to help you uh, design a legendary business and a legendary category at the same time. GrowWire.com. This is where uh, growth-oriented entrepreneurial people go for stories of innovation. Check them out. There's a podcast. There's a YouTube channel. It's awesome. GrowWire.com. Bottleneck Virtual Assistants. These are my friends that help you scale you through the power of a virtual assistant. Check them out today at bottleneck.online. That's bottleneck.online. And if you're a younger person and you're looking to turbocharge your career, I want to turn you on to a great new handbook. I wrote the foreword for this handbook. It's called Crash Your Career. And you can learn more at crash.co slash different. And I also want to tell you about a podcast I love. If you're in the tech world, if you care about this stuff, and like me, you have a little bit of a grumpy streak in you, then check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. It's one of my absolute favorites. It's hosted by a buddy of mine. He's been on this podcast, Jason DeFilippo, and his partner, uh, Brian Schulmeister. Check him out, Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. All right, I need to remind you that today's Oddcast is a sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love it if you shared the shit out of it. Um, we just recently did our first ever customer survey. Uh, it's still up if you want to participate in it. You can go to lockhead.com slash survey. And here's one of the things that blew us away the most. About 80% of the people said they heard about this podcast or Oddcast through a friend. So I want to uh, tell you, A, we appreciate that uh, dearly. And B, tell a friend about this podcast, would you? <laughs> that's, that's the most amount of begging I can do. All right, this podcast is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. Please teach entrepreneurship. Support candidates who support entrepreneurs. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Listen to Tom Waits. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, my deepest apologies go out to Elizabeth Holmes. Sorry, Lizzie, we just ran out of time for you. That's it. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your difference.